Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, verse 5, the Apostle Paul speaking, First Corinthians 2, 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to preach tonight faith in the power of God. You may be seated. Faith in the power of God. This morning, I preached on the faithful God, that you can trust God. He is faithful. He is someone you can put your faith in and you will never be disappointed. Tonight, I want to follow up on that. That since we know God is faithful, since we know God's character, his ability, his power, then we need to step out by faith. And we need to have faith in the power of God. We need to believe in the supernatural, the gifts of the Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders. We go through the trials of life, as we've already mentioned. And so every day we don't live, so to speak, in in the supernatural. We have to face the problems of life. But the works of God should be normal in our life and in the life of the church. It should be expected. God is going to heal. God is going to deliver. God is going to operate. God is going to speak. We can't survive, especially not in our day, just by a social religion. We can't survive just by a tradition, no matter how good that tradition is. is. We're not here to extol the, the ability of humans. And so I'm representing the United Pentecostal Church International. I believe God is moving in a, in a great and unprecedented way. But I'm not here to try to convince you to have faith in the UPCI. I'm not... Ha- trying to convince you to have faith in me, David Bernard. You've got an amazing building, but I'm not trying to get you to have faith in a building. You've got a great pastor who is leading you, but I'm not trying to get you to have faith in a man per se. What I'm saying is our faith must be in the power of God. Our faith must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can save, but he is the Savior. He can indeed save to the uttermost. Praise God. So we respect our leaders. We respect our organization. We respect our structure. We respect our church. But our faith is in God. Faith in the power of God. You can see this when you take a look at the uh, preaching of the Apostle Paul and the discussion here. If you go back to verse 1, he says, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, but I came declaring the testimony of God. I didn't try to rely on my ability. I relied on God, the testimony of what God has done. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, everything that I preached focused on Jesus. Now that may seem simplistic. It is simple, but it's not simplistic. If, you, if, if everything you preach is about Jesus, what are you going to preach? You're going to preach there's one God who 
created us to serve him, to worship him, to have fellowship and communion with him. But sadly, we fell into sin. We broke that fellowship. We temporarily thwarted that plan. But God didn't give up. God could have just destroyed us and started all over with a different plan. But he loved us. And so God made a plan of salvation for us. God gave his only begotten son, who is really God himself manifested in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the son of God. When you preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, you'll preach there's one true God who's been manifested in the flesh as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He and he alone can save. You'll preach that Jesus, as a human being, he took our place. He died for our sins. He shed his blood for us. You won't stop with his death because he's not hanging on a cross today. But he was buried in the tomb. He rose again the third day. He turned death to life, defeat to victory. By his resurrection, he won victory over death, hell, the grave, sin, the devil. And he offers that same victory to those who will believe on him and obey his gospel today. So when you preach Jesus, you'll preach Jesus and him crucified. You'll preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But you won't stop with what happened 2,000 years ago. You'll preach how that message applies to our lives in the 21st century. You'll preach that just as Jesus died, we must die to sin in repentance. Just as Jesus was buried, we must be buried with him in water baptism, calling on his name. Just as Jesus rose from the grave with newness of life, so we must be filled with his spirit. We too will rise to walk in newness of life through the Holy Ghost. So when you preach Jesus and him crucified, you'll preach the new birth experience that changes people today. But you won't stop with that experience book of Galatians, Paul talks about being crucified with Christ. They were crucified to the world. They were crucified to the flesh. Well, what does that mean? We live a new life. No longer do we follow the desires of the flesh. No longer do we follow what the culture, what the world tells us we should do. But we die to those old influences so that we can live unto God. That's the pursuit of holiness. When you preach Jesus and him crucified, you'll preach it's important to live a holy life. The holy life is personal and social. It's inside and outside. It's the whole person. When you have God in your life, when you die to the world, when you die to the flesh, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you pursue holiness, it will change the way you think. It will change your relationships with people. It will change your family. It'll change the way you talk. It will change the way you dress. It will change how you use social media. It will change your choices of amusement. It changes everything about you because you're now living a new life. You're li and Christ is living in you. So when you preach Jesus and him crucified, you'll preach the oneness of God. The almighty God in Jesus Christ. The gospel, the new birth, the pursuit of holiness. It's all there. Everything is apostolics that we hold dear. It's right there in the message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, everything I preached was about Jesus. I decided not to preach any other philosophy, but simply to preach Jesus. And he said in the text that I read that I didn't come with the enticing words of man's wisdom. 
but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, that does not mean Paul was an ignorant and unqualified and incapable person. Actually, he was highly educated and highly qualified. Some people denigrate all forms of education. Education is just a tool. It can be used for good or bad. But in Paul's case, he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, the foremost rabbi of the first century. So he had an advanced theological education. So if somebody tells you you don't need to go to Bible college, well, if God tells you to go to Bible college, you're following in the footsteps of people like the Apostle Paul. And then Paul had a secular education. I don't know if he was primarily self-taught or if he had a formal training, but in Acts 17, when he preached in Athens to the Greek philosophers, he was able to quote from Greek philosophers and poets. Well, in a day when books were handwritten, copied by hand, and very costly, very rare, he must have taken time to read, to study, to commit some things to memory. And why would he even be interested in pagan works? He was trying to understand and relate to the culture around him. So he had an education that was suited in that secular world. But his, So the point is not don't pursue education, don't pursue talent, don't pursue ability, don't use the gifts that God has given you. That's not what he was saying. But what he is saying is whatever God has given you, submit it to the Lord and use it for the glory of God. Don't depend on your abilities to do a spiritual work, but depend on the power of God. Don't depend on eloquence of speech. Don't depend on human philosophy. He knew that if people were convinced by his eloquence or by his clever argument, they might say that they believed in Jesus for a time. But sooner or later, someone else would come that's even more eloquent, that have even more clever sounding words, and they would be led astray. But Paul knew if people had an encounter with Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Ghost, then no matter what trials came their way, no matter what false doctrines came their way, they could be established because their faith was not in human ability, but their faith was in the Almighty God. And so I'll just say, we were blessed by the musicians, the choir, the singers. They should practice. They should take time to develop excellence. But at the end of the day, when they come out to sing, they shouldn't come for a performance, but they should come with prayer and humility, saying, Lord, take what we have and anoint it to touch the hearts and lives of the hearers. When we preach, Brother Vite, we should study. We should learn. We should dig into the word. We should study. We should develop excellence. But when we come out to preach or teach, even if it's a home Bible study, we shouldn't rely on our great ability, our education, our talents, our degrees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we should say, Lord, anoint the word. Take what, what I have and transform it by your power so that it can go into the hearts of people and change their thinking and change their lives and do a miracle. Because our faith is not in our ability. Our faith is not in our talent. Our faith is not in our resources. Whatever we have, that's great. God has given it to us. Use it for the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we should be good stewards of that. But at the end of the day, our faith must be in the power of God. The demonstration of the spirit and of power. 
We must have the miraculous. We must have the move of the Spirit. We must have the work of God in our midst. I, my wife and I had the privilege of starting a church, as I mentioned this morning, building up from scratch and starting 16 other daughter works under our ministry. This church has a great history, but regardless, if you will go back to the key families that make this church what it is, you go back to their beginnings, you hear their stories. What you're gonna find is not eloquence of speech that brought them here. It was not philosophy that built Calvary Tabernacle, but it was God transforming lives. People's marriages were restored. People were healed miraculously when there was no hope. People were, were in different forms of sin and addictions and trouble, and God brought them out. And these families are here today because of what God has done in their lives. And that's what it's going to take for Calvary to continue and to grow and to thrive and to influence the next generation and to reach around the world. We can't rely on our ability, our heritage, our tradition, even if it is a Pentecostal tradition. But each generation must go back to the Word of God. Each generation must go back to the power of God. Each family, each young person, we must have faith in the power of God. That's what brought us to this point. That's what's going to move us forward. Faith in the power of God. Sometimes we make faith more difficult than it really is. Faith is simply trusting God. The power of faith is not in our brain. The power of faith is in the object of faith. Sometimes we face a great need or a great trial, great challenge. We try to muster up great faith. And we try to maneuver ourselves in a really believing strongly. If it's a headache, we could just say, oh, Lord, touch me. But if it's cancer, we got to have something super duper. And so some people will pursue radio preachers, TV preachers, someone, somewhere in the world that can do amazing things. But wait a minute. The power of faith is not in your head. The power of faith is in the object of your faith. I'll give you an example. I was raised in Korea. My parents were missionaries. Korea at that time was a very poor country. It was a non-Christian country, predominantly Buddhist, shamanist, animist, worshiping the spirits of the mountains and so forth. And I remember going to the Buddhist temple. I would see sincere people coming with their gifts. They would bring incense, light candles, offer food for the priest. They would offer flowers and various things to this statue. There was a giant metal statue of Buddha. And I watched as people would raise their hand, sort of like Pentecostals, but slow motion. They would just raise their hand above their head and kneel all the way to the floor, stretched out to their foreheads, touching the floor. They would stand up, and they would do it again, maybe 50 times. That's great faith. That's probably as much as faith as you and I have. But after their prayer, they would turn around and leave. No change of expression. No deliverance. No healing. No forgiveness. They go back to the same problems that they had. I'm not disparaging these people. I'm not making fun of them. I'm saying they were sincere. They had faith. But all the faith in the world didn't produce any result. Why? Because the object of their faith was a man who died thousands of years ago and who's buried. 
The object of their faith was a giant metal statue. It had eyes, but they couldn't see. It had ears, but they couldn't hear. So all the faith in the world did not produce a result. Now let's flip this around. Say of everybody in this room, you're the person who has the least faith of all. I'm not encouraging you to have only a little faith, but I'm just saying. What if you just feel like I'm the least worthy, the least spiritual? I have the least faith of everybody in the whole room. So what? If you will take whatever faith you have, and you, and you must have some or you wouldn't even be here. Nobody hit you on the head and dragged you here. You came because at some level, you wanted to come. And you're listening, if you are listening. That's some kind of faith right there. So if you would take that faith and turn it in the direction of the Almighty God, something really could happen. Just a little bit of faith in a great big God could result in an answer to prayer tonight because the power of faith is not in your brain or your ability, but the power of faith is in the object of your faith. That's why I challenge you tonight, whatever your need, whatever your situation, whatever your condition, have faith in the power of God and God can do a miracle in your life. God can change your life. God can deliver your family. Have faith in the power of God. Oh, I feel a witness of the Holy Holy Ghost. Oh, I feel God is talking to somebody. Oh, I feel something in the Holy Ghost. Have faith in the power of God. I'm preaching that anybody here tonight can receive a miracle. Anybody here can receive an answer from God. Anybody can be touched by the presence of God. Have faith in the power of God. Matthew 17, 20, there's a story. A man had a son who was, had seizures. He would fall into the fire or the water. He was at risk of hurting himself, even dying. So in desperation, the man brought his son to the disciples, asked for them to pray. They prayed, nothing happened. So then Jesus showed up. Jesus took charge of the situation, said, if you can believe, all things are possible. The man said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. Some people ridicule that. Say, you know, you must have a positive confession, no sign of doubt. You must just name it, claim it, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, I like that man because he's being honest. I mean, if you pretend that everything's okay when it's really not okay, who are you fooling? You're only fooling yourself because God knows your heart. You might as well just go ahead and be honest. And so that's what he's doing. Lord, I really do believe, but I'm struggling. And Jesus didn't say, okay, too bad. Two, you can come back with no struggle. I'm not going to help you. No, basically Jesus said, okay, I'll take it from there. If you'll just overcome. You see, and I learned this many years ago from Bishop Morris Golder from right here in Indianapolis. He made this statement. He said, everybody has fears, everybody has doubts. But here's the key. Everybody has doubts, but don't believe your doubts. And don't doubt your beliefs. You're going to be assailed. You mean even if you're a preacher, even if you're the general superintendent? Yeah. At times, everybody has fear, has doubt, wonders. Is this really going to work? Is this really the will of God? What are we supposed to do? Is this all a joke? What's going on? But when those things come, just don't believe that stuff. But instead, go back to the thing that brought you here. Go back to the 
word of God. Go back to an experience that's based on the word. And you're going to be all right. Have faith in the power of God. And so this man said, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief. And so in essence, the Lord said, okay, I'll take that. And the Lord proceeded to cast out the evil spirit, heal the son. It was a great miracle. Well, the disciples pulled Jesus aside. They said, how come we couldn't do that? He said, well, it's because of your unbelief. So in Matthew 17, 20, he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say this mountain be removed, and it would remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. So if you had faith like a mustard seed, well, the mustard seed was the smallest seed of the, that the farmers in Palestine used. It's about the size of a head of a straight pin. So if I had one here today and showed it to you, that's what it would look like. From where you're sitting, that's what it would look like. Basically insignificant. Jesus said his faith is like a mustard seed. I think what he was saying is don't try to measure quantities. So, well... You know, this guy, he's got a barrel full of faith. He's got a bushel full of faith. You know, Pastor Carson here, you know, if I could just get him to pray for me. He's got all the faith in the world. But me, I just have a thimble full. I just have a cup full. I just have almost nothing. And I think Jesus is saying, don't try to measure or compare. But if all you have is one grain, then use what you've got. See, here's the thing about a seed. Now, I'm not a farmer, but... You can have a seed sitting there for years, inert, dead, useless, cannot do anything, doesn't do anything. And if you tried to serve it to your family, it wouldn't suffice for any useful purpose. But what if you take that seed that's been dormant, sometimes literally for years, and put it in the ground? What happens? I even read where they uncovered some of the tombs of the pharaohs of Egypt. And it covered grains of wheat that have been lying there for thousands of years. They planted it and some of it sprouted. That's incredible to me. But what is seemingly dead, useless, when you put it in the ground, it can begin to grow. It can produce a plant. That plant could have hundreds of seeds. You could reap that, plant more. And eventually you could have a harvest. And eventually you could feed your family year after year after year. All from one original Brain. Faith is like that. Stop worrying about what you don't have. Stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Stop, stop comparing your problems to the immensity of the problems, to your meager ability, and just take whatever you have. Whatever faith that brought you here tonight, take that and say, I'm going to plant it in the ground. I'm going to take a step of faith. That's why we invite people to come to the front. Do you have to come to the front to be, be filled with the Holy Ghost? No, of course not. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost in the back. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost at home. Uh, we anoint with oil and we lay hands on people. The Bible teaches that. But there's no special virtue in our hands or in the oil. It's a symbolic of the Holy Spirit and of God putting his hands. Do we have to have that in order for a miracle to take place? No. But these steps are, are ways of engaging our faith. To say, I only have little faith, but I can walk to the front. 
I can kneel. I can raise my hands. I can ask the preacher to lay hands on me. I can ask for the anointing ball. In other words, I will do something to tell God, the devil, and myself, this is for real. I believe in the power of God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to step out by faith. I will plant my seed in the ground. And Jesus said, if you can just do that, you could have a miracle. In fact, Anything in the will of God, no matter how big, nothing is impossible if you will believe. I remember years ago when I was pastor, we had a man in his 40s that got throat cancer. They did radiation, chemotherapy, and they must have done too much. It knocked out his immune system, and he ended up having a stroke, so they had to rush him to the hospital. He went into a coma. While he was in the coma, he had a heart attack. They jump-started him back to life. He was still unconscious, still in the coma. And so the doctor said, you know what? He's going to keep having these heart attacks. So, and this is what the doctor told me and the family when I was there. He said, He'll, he has only a 10% chance of surviving tonight. But if he does survive, he's going to be in a coma. We don't know if he's ever going to come out. If he comes out, he'll probably be brain damaged. We don't know how severe. So the doctor advised the family we recommend you sign this do not resuscitate form because we expect he'll probably just die tonight. But if he, if he lives, he'll keep having these heart attacks. So instead of keep having these heart attacks and us keep jump-starting him back and keep seeing what condition he's going to be in, just let him go. That's the best thing. So the family said, okay. Well, something stirred in my spirit. It was Wednesday night we, before church. So I went to church. I felt like God just impressed me. And so I told the church, we're going to pray for our brother. Now, we understand there's a time for everyone to go. We, we understand that. And if God takes him, we will accept it. But our job is not to say, okay, God, whatever. Our job, if any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. Pray. So our job is to have faith. Our job is to believe. And then we, re re we leave the results in God's hand. But we're going to pray for a miracle. And I said, you know, the doctors have basically said there's little hope, only 10%, that he would even survive one night. So isn't this an opportunity for God to work? If God wants to take him, fine. But if we pray and God brings him back out, I'm going to go back to the doctor and say, hey, doctor, it's a 90% chance it was a miracle. 10% chance it just happened, but 90% chance it was a miracle. Hey, I'd rather trust in what God can do. Well, you can guess the rest of the story. We prayed. He survived the night. He came out of the hospital. He went back to work. And now, what, almost 20 years ago, and he's still serving the Lord. He's still in church. When we share his testimony, he runs the aisles, and he thanks God. I'm here to tell you that doctors do their best. I'm not disparaging them, but our faith is not in what the doctors can do. Our faith is in what God can do. Our faith is not in what counselors can do, although we appreciate their work, but our faith is in what God God can do. I challenge you, have faith in the power of God. I remember another situation. We had a full-time outreach director. He was a great man of faith. He was one of those kind. He had what's called the gift of faith. He could pray with people, and they were healed. He could pray with people, receive the Holy Ghost just in minutes or speaking in tongues. So if, if I had someone... You know, we're working with people, praying for people. If there's someone really struggling, I'd say, hey, go over there and pray for them. And usually he'd be able to bring them through. 
But one day he started having seizures, blackouts. And no, he didn't know the cause. Of course, they went to the doctor. And uh, the doctor forbid him to, to uh, drive because he could have blackouts at any moment. Uh, he couldn't really sleep well. He couldn't concentrate, couldn't work in the office. So they found he had an enlarged heart. It was a genetic condition. The muscles of his heart were hardened and stiffened and grew large. And that's incurable. Once your heart gets to that point, it will never shrink back and smooth out. It's, it's the way it is. And then they found out what's causing the blackouts was uh, one of his blood vessels was constricting. It would just suddenly collapse, shut off blood to his brain. And so he would, you know, have this seizure or this blackout. Again, that was an incurable medical condition. They were giving him medication to try to help him, but it wouldn't cure him. No surgery would do it. This, these were two irreversible medical conditions. He would have to live with that and manage that the rest of his life. As you can imagine, he's very discouraged. We prayed first month, second month, third month. And I just felt the Lord tell me. And so I told him, You're, you have such a faith ministry. God wants to give you a certified miracle. And most of the time we pray, God answers prayer. and We know it. But if you try to tell your testimony to a skeptic, they would say, oh, well, you know, you just got better. The medication finally worked. It's a coincidence. And we know what God did, but... You know, how do you explain that to a skeptic? But I said, I just feel like with your ministry, God's going to take you to the next level. God wants to give you a certified miracle. That you actually have the paperwork to say it's a miracle. Well, one day, this, so that, that happened in December, so this is in March. We're having one of these blowout Sunday night services. Power of God falling. And I just felt impressed. I just walked over to him, and I laid hands on him. He told me later, the power of God hit him like... Uh, like electricity going through his body. He said, I knew right then I was healed. He went back to the doctor, and I have the records. In fact, I just pulled it out this week because I had it in my file. He, he gave me the medical records. And the medical records say in non-technical terms, no evidence of the heart disease. No evidence. The heart was back to normal. The blood vessel was back to normal. And so this is written up. So I have the original diagnosis and I have the subsequent three month later report. So the original diagnosis is all this stuff. The final report says no evidence of all this stuff. So his doctor was a Muslim. He said, doctor, can you explain this in just regular English? He said, what it means is you've been cured and there's no known cause. That's what the records say. He said, well, so what are you trying to say, doctor? His doctor said, what it means is divine intervention. You know, if the preacher tells the doctor it's a miracle, okay. But when the doctor tells the preacher it's a miracle, then you know God is up to something. I believe God can do a miracle for somebody here tonight. Have faith in the power of God. What does God want to do? Not just healing. I was preaching a couple years ago back there in the church in Austin. Pastor Shaw is there now. A visitor, first time visitor came on Sunday morning. I didn't know it till later. Brother Shaw told me the testimony several weeks ago. This man was a Buddhist for 23 years. He had been meditating as was their custom, but he was attacked by evil spirits in his meditation. It shocked him, concerned him. He was evidently sincere, seeking for truth, but didn't know where to go. So God was merciful. One night, God gave him a dream. 
in the dream, a person in white, we would probably say an angel, spoke to him and said, if you want to be set free from demonic forces, you need Jesus Christ. He woke up from that dream thinking, I've got to find a Christian church. He didn't know where to go to. He found a large non-denominational church. He started going there. Well, he went there for six months, but he didn't really find anything significant that he could hold on to. So he started asking around, I, I, I want a relationship with God. I want power with God. And fortunately, somebody, I don't know who said, you know, you probably need to try a Pentecostal church. They know who we are. They might make fun of us, but when they need a miracle, they know where to go. They know who, they might ridicule you on the job, but if they need prayer, they know who to go to for prayer. And so he, he just searched online for Pentecostal Church Austin. He found new life. He walked in that Sunday morning for the first time. Pastor Shaw told me his testimony later. He said, when I walked in the doors, I felt the presence of God. And he said, I knew this is what I've been looking for all these years. I found it when he walked in the doors. That night, he was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, a Buddhist for 23 years. When he came up out of the water, Pastor Shaw laid hands on him. God filled him with the Holy Ghost, with the sign of speaking in tongues. That's a normal New Testament conversion experience. You might think it's too hard for you or your family or your friend, but nothing is impossible with God. I'm saying it's time to have faith in the power of God. Let's see what God will do. Let's test the word of God. Let's stand on the word of God. Let's see what God will do. Faith in the power of God. One more verse of scripture, Matthew 7, 7. All of you Bible quizzers or anybody, I'll tell you how to memorize that verse. Seven, of course, is God's perfect number. So Matthew 7, 7, that's pretty easy to remember, right? It says, ask and it shall be given you. So what happens when you ask? It's given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Of course, you've probably seen it, A-S-K. A for ask, S for seek, K for knock. You just remember, memorize that whole verse without even trying. But look at it. James says many times we don't have why, because we don't ask. We need to ask. You say, I've asked and nothing happened. Well, don't give up. The next part of the verse says seek. So you got to be a little more active, right? You can ask by just holding your hand nothing happens. So don't give up or start walking around. Start asking and then seeking. Start praying. When, you, when you, your prayers aren't answered seemingly, don't quit. Just keep praying. You say, well, I've been doing that and nothing's happened. Well, don't give up. Knock. Knocking is a little more aggressive, a little more active, Right? So you have to get a little more intent or insistent, fervent, desperate, hungry, thirsty. Start knocking on the door. Now, many times, you know, if the door is open, you don't really have to knock, right? You just walk in. So we knock when the door is closed. But what happens if you feel like God is leading you and you get to a closed door? Many people just shrug their shoulders and say, well, I guess I missed the will of God. I guess I misunderstand. I guess the circumstances are getting against me, so that means I'm not supposed to expect anything. Well, if you felt God leading you, don't give up 
so easily just because the door is shut. Why don't you try knocking on the door? Why don't you start turning the handle? Why don't you start pushing with your shoulder? Maybe the circumstances are against you, but maybe God wants you to press on until the answer comes. Maybe God wants you to overcome adversity. Maybe God wants you to endure. Maybe God wants you to knock on the door. Let's stand together. Have faith in the power of God. It's just a simple message. But that's the message that can change your life. Whatever your need may be, don't settle for mere existence. But step out by faith and say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to have faith in what God can do. Jesus said also in Matthew 7, you know, if your children comes ask you for a piece of bread, you wouldn't, you wouldn't give them a stone, would you? If they asked for a piece of fish to eat, you, you wouldn't give them a snake, would you? Well, even if sinful human parents know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? And the parallel passage, Luke 11 says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit is specifically a promise from God. Would you close your eyes with me? If there's somebody here tonight, if you really are wanting to serve God, would you come out from where you are? Come to the front to kneel or stand. Maybe you feel led to ask someone to come with you. Maybe, maybe God is impressing you to go invite someone. Be sensitive to the Spirit and, of course, to them. If there's somebody you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you've never been filled with the Spirit with a miraculous sign of speaking in a language you never learned, that's the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. God wants to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost here tonight. If you've never been baptized with the invocation of the name of Jesus Christ, you need to talk to one of these ministers. You can be baptized tonight before you leave. If there's someone you need a personal renewing in the Holy Spirit, would you come right now? If there's someone that you're struggling in your faith, but you need an answer, come. I even believe there's somebody that's a soul winner, but you've been a little tentative and hesitant, and God is speaking to you about being a little more bold and confident in praying for souls and reaching for souls and witnessing to souls. Maybe God is telling you to knock on some doors that you've been just passing up. Use wisdom and discern, but, but God can give you that. I believe God is speaking about someone who's gonna win a soul before this year is over, but you need to step out by faith. If you feel like God is speaking to you, come quickly to the front. We're gonna worship God together, and let's see what God will do. Let's have faith in the power of God.